When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive this trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And if the lives of your enemies, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word in 1 Samuel that you've been taking us through these past several weeks. And I pray for tonight's sermon, a a little different kind of sermon, more of a meditation than an exposition. I pray that we would be able to hear your spirit loud and clear. We pray that where there may be defenses that rise up in us that don't want to hear, that you would get past our defenses, that you would disarm us with your love, with your constant yes to us in your son, Jesus. We pray for this time may it be a sacred and a holy time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the next big section in Samuel is chapters 21 to 27, which is where David is the fugitive. He's on the run from Saul, and a lot of things happen in this section. But in the middle of this section, in in chapter 25, it's the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail. And it forms the central part of this section between chapters 21 and 27. And I'm going to devote tonight's sermon entirely to chapter 25. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 25. That's where we're going to be. And I'm going to start by reading the first eight verses here. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, And go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house. And peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. 
Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So the story really begins with David's instructions that he gives to these young men. He and his men are in the wilderness of Paran, and they're in need. They have very few provisions. They're in need. And it sounds like this guy named Nabal has more than enough to supply them with food. He's very rich, says he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So it shouldn't be a problem for Nabal at all to, to give some of this stuff to David and the men who are with him. And David points out, he says, that the whole time that he was with Nabal's shepherds, uh, nothing was taken from them. And David's presence probably prevented others from taking stuff away from Nabal. They were probably a, a security for Nabal's men. And so Nabal actually benefited from David being there with his men. Plus, it's a feast day. And surely nobody would turn away somebody on a feast day. Uh, if you've ever read Homer's Odyssey, you may remember that Odysseus and Telemachus and some of these other characters are constantly popping up in new lands on feast days. And the host of the feast is constantly saying, come in and enjoy the feast. I'm not even going to ask who you are or why you're here until you've had your fill of food. And so the question is, will David and his men be shown that kind of hospitality from Nabal? Now, David is Israel's favorite son. He's remembered in song as having killed his ten thousands while Saul killed only thousands. He killed Goliath. And yet he humbles himself before Nabal. He humbles himself to Nabal and says, please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. He doesn't threaten and he doesn't coerce. He humbles himself and he asks. Another way of thinking about this is that David extends himself to Nabal. He puts himself out there and extends himself. He makes himself vulnerable. He puts himself in a position where he can be rejected. And by putting himself in this position, all he can do is hope that Nabal will reciprocate back and give David what he's asking for. So let's stop there and ponder that for a moment. Have you ever extended yourself to another person? Have you ever extended yourself and put yourself in a vulnerable position where you could be rejected by somebody, maybe somebody close to you, where all that you can do is hope that the other party will reciprocate back to you? Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents, maybe with your close friends, maybe even with God. We love with at least the hope that our love will be reciprocated back to us. When mothers make meals for the family, they're doing more than just putting food in the feeding trough for everybody to come feed. Mothers put something of themselves in the meal so that people can enjoy it, and they hope that that will be noticed and appreciated. I try to fix things around my house from time to time, and I often hope that that effort will be reciprocated with something actually getting fixed. I extend myself beyond my knowledge and my skill. Parents try to communicate with their teenagers, and teenagers try to communicate with their parents. 
Both want a good relationship and both extend themselves with the hope that their effort will be reciprocated. Does this make sense? We pray. We extend ourselves and pray very vulnerable prayers for others and for ourselves. And we pray in hope, knowing that God can reciprocate, but he might not give us exactly what we ask for. And it's not easy to extend ourselves like this. It's putting a lot on the line. It's not easy to do it because we're never guaranteed that the other party is going to reciprocate. We make ourselves, we may make ourselves vulnerable only to be rebuffed. For David, in verse 29 warns us, I'm sorry, verse 9, warns us that the outcome may not be quite what he had hoped. Verse 9 says, When David's young men came, they said all of this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And then they waited. This is not a good sign. This means that Nabal is not responding right away. He's not ushering them in. He's not gathering up supplies. He's not saying, David is asking for my help. Well, let me get the best of what I have and give it to you as fast as I can. Nabal's not doing that. The men are waiting. And that's not a good sign. Verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So Nabal refuses David's request for hospitality. It was in his power to reciprocate David's request, his goodwill, but he doesn't do it. And when we extend ourselves, even hopefully, we're not always reciprocated by the other party. I may work really hard at fixing that appliance, but if I don't have everything right, it's not going to be fixed. But not all rejection is a matter of impersonal forces. Sometimes... Rejection feels inescapably personal, very personal. If you've ever worked really hard and then been passed over for a promotion or let go due to a downsizing that you had nothing to do with in the first place, then you know what this feels like. If you want to be a loving, godly spouse and yet you watch as everybody else gets married instead of you, you know what this feels like. If you extend yourself to your spouse, but you only get resistance in return, you know. If you did everything that you could to raise godly kids, and yet they just walked out the door of faith and into the wilderness of sin, you know. And if you pray and you feel like you only get silence in return, then you know. When we extend ourselves but are rejected, it hurts. Whether a little or a lot, it hurts. This is not going to be a fun message to take back to David on the part of these young men. And by the way, it's not that Nabal doesn't know who David is. It's not that Nabal just has never heard of David. David gave very specific instructions to the young men about how they were to greet Nabal. And nowhere in David's greeting did it say that he is the son of Jesse. And yet Nabal says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Nabal's refusal isn't because of ignorance on his part, which could be forgiven. Rather, he's saying, what does David matter that I should give him anything? So what if it's David? 
It's not just a no, it's an insult. It's an insult to David. And David knows that it's an insult when he gets the news. So all he says is, every man strap on their sword. Every man strap on his sword. This is not going to fly for David. You do not insult David, the son of Jesse, who cut off Goliath's head. The one who bagged 200 foreskins of the Philistines. The one who's been wrongfully chased by crazy Saul all over the place. The one who's been living in caves with the rabble of society. The one who is anointed by Samuel as the rightful king of Israel. No, Nabal, you don't get to do that. You don't get to insult the future king. So every man strap on your sword because we're coming for you. That's what David is saying. This is blind rage talking out of David. He is absolutely berserk. And if you don't believe me, a little bit later in the story, in verse 21, it says, Now David had said, God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David isn't just going to kill Nabal. He's going to kill everybody. He's going to kill all of Nabal's men. David is out of his mind with rage. He's becoming just like Saul. And so we want to ask why. And I think the reason why is that David extended himself. He made himself vulnerable. And he was not only rejected, but he was, in, he was rejected in such a personal way that it was an insult. David might have put it like this. I tried and he embarrassed me. And now all I have in return for my vulnerability is shame and futility and anger. <clears throat> and sometimes when we extend ourselves and are not reciprocated, it doesn't just feel personal. It feels like an insult. Maybe you can identify with that. This is often the place where marriages turn sour. And a spouse may say, I extended myself and was turned away. I was turned away by the television. I was turned away by an angry word. I was turned away by bringing up old resentments. I was turned away by his or her infatuation with sports or social media or whatever else. But really, it could be in any close relationship, any relationship where we're close to another person, where we might say, I tried. I tried. I gave myself. And I was rejected. I received insult for the good that I offered. I vulnerably shared where I'm at with my friend and all I got was correction for not doing well. I tried to tell my mom and dad about the stress and anxiety that I feel, but they were more concerned with what others might think about my struggles. I tried to share my concerns with church leadership, but they just patronized me and let me know that that's not my place to do. And when you extend yourself to the people who are closest to you and you're turned away, you can begin to breed real hatred. You can begin to get really hateful. And that's where David is right now in this story. It won't be enough to just punish Nabal. He has to wipe out everybody who's associated with the insult. Well, fortunately, that's not where the story ends. And fortunately, Nabal has a very wise and discerning wife named Abigail. And Abigail hears what her foolish husband has done, and she quickly prepares a meal for David and his men, and then she intercepts him on his way to commit murder. 
Let me skip to the key passage of her appeal to David. This is beginning at verse 26. And I'm going to pass over verse 29. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So Abigail says a few things that we don't want to miss. First, she says that the Lord has restrained David from blood guilt. In other words, David really was on his way to commit a wrong. What he was going to do would not have been right in God's eyes. But she also says that the Lord restrained him from saving with his own hand. In other words, David, you've never saved yourself by your own hand before. You think of the times where he could have killed Saul and he didn't do it. He's never saved himself before. Your victories have always come because the Lord has fought for you and you've trusted in the Lord. Psalm 4.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's where salvation comes from. It doesn't come from David saving by his own hand. And so she's saying, don't try to save yourself by your own hand now. But the last thing she says is what we don't want to miss. Verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, Abigail must be speaking the words of the Holy Spirit because she points ahead to the covenant that God will make with David not much later, once David is king, when God says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's a promise that God makes to David. And in verse 30, she talks about the time to come when David will be appointed prince over Israel. And she doesn't want him to look back with regret over killing a worthless man and some innocent servants of his, over an insult. But here's her biggest point, and this is what I think matters for each of us. Abigail says, David, you don't have to be reciprocated by Nabal. You don't have to be reciprocated by him or by anybody else because the Lord is going to make a sure house for you. He's going to give you a forever house. Compared to that, what reciprocation could possibly matter to you, David? The Lord's going to give you a forever house. There's nothing else that compares with that. And just as I think Abigail is the voice of the Spirit to David, I think we need the Spirit to speak to us as well. When we feel rejected and when we feel angry and on the verge of saying or doing something that we can't take back and that we'll regret later. We need the Spirit to speak a cool breeze into our hot rage. 
But what would the Spirit say to us? Well, I think there are a lot of passages in Scripture that the Spirit could speak to us, but one that I'll point out would be Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The Spirit says it's not even a matter of us extending ourselves and being reciprocated. Rather, God has already poured out infinitely more than we could ever give of ourselves. He took us when we were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together with Christ, and he's raised us up, and he seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. As we've said before, with God, we'd never get what we deserve. And thank God for that. We don't want what we deserve or what we think we deserve. Abigail says to David, the Lord will build you a sure house. And that's far more important than avenging any insult. And the Spirit says to us, the Father has already poured out his grace upon you. You're already forgiven and raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that is far more important than whatever it is that you're not getting from this person who's not reciprocating to you. What you're getting from the Father is far more important than what you won't get from somebody else. Jesus was rejected by the very people that he came to save. And he died for them without bitterness. He died for them without threatening to come back in vengeance. And so looking to Jesus, we can receive rejection without bitterness, without shrinking into ourselves, and without thoughts of getting back. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. When you feel like a door has been slammed in your face, when you feel like the only message you're getting from others or from the universe, maybe even from yourself, is just no. When you feel like that's the only message you're getting is no. You must remember that in Jesus, the answer is always yes. It's always yes. There is no no in your life that is stronger than God's yes to us in Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. There is no no in your life that's stronger than God's yes to us in Jesus. And that's a foundation upon which you can build your life. And when you put your trust in Jesus, not only can you receive rejection without bitterness and anger, but then you can actually put Jesus' teaching into practice. Remember this from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We can do those things in the relationships in our lives if we remember that we are in Christ. And in Christ, we float in an ocean of grace that always says yes, yes, yes. 
This is a quote from a Christian psychologist named David Benner. And he says, if we are to become great lovers, we must return again and again to the great love of the great lover. Returning to that great love, a love that was there for us before we experienced any rejection and that will be there for us after all other rejections take place is our true spiritual work. Now, I know that this is all quite heavy and a lot for us on a Friday night going into the weekend. But if you're going to take this further, if you think that the Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder and you need to take this further, here are some questions to ponder and to pray over. Is God's yes to you in Christ real to you? Is God's yes to you in Christ something that is real to you? When you consciously turn your life in relationship to the Father and the Son and the Spirit, do you receive them as a yes? Or are they a mixture of yes and no? Only from a sure foundation of God's yes to you in Christ can you receive no's from other people and not be harmed. When that's your sure foundation, that yes in Christ You can receive no's from others and you cannot be harmed. And then what do you do with the no's that you receive from others? You know, for most of us, I think we just stop trying and we just give up on that relationship and just kind of write it off. We stop extending ourselves. We trade vulnerability for steely defenses and being on our guard. And we give up on meaningful relationship. Well, if you have done that with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, with the church, with God, I just want to encourage you to look to Jesus and to try again. To look to Jesus who gave himself without bitterness and to try again, knowing that you don't have to be reciprocated. You don't have to be reciprocated. Jesus gave and gave and gave himself away and was not reciprocated, and yet God vindicated him. And it's God's approval that matters most. Who are we as a church? We are a people who try. We are a people who try. We are a people who extend ourselves and give freely because we have a sure house. We have a sure foundation. We've been forgiven and raised and seated in the heavenly places, We're a people who live in God's yes to us in Christ. Amen? May we be a people who hear and respond to the voice of Abigail and not to the voice of Nabal. Let's pray.